Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good morning. Good morning. Well, yeah, I, uh, I was at fourth, the, the fourth community event last night, and it was just a pleasure to see Greenville swell to like a bunch of these people, right? I didn't know there was that many people in Greenville. And so that was my first taste of the community, really, and I really enjoyed it. And so I'm, I'm sure some of you guys were there. Um, and I'm excited that you guys are here this morning. If you haven't met me, my name is Ben Harris, and I'm the new student minister here. And so if you have middle school and high school students, send them my way. I'd love to mess with them and, you know, rough them around or something, I don't know, whatever youth ministers do, you know, um, but yeah, so um, I, I would love to get to know you guys, just catch me after, I'd love to get to know your names and sit down with you, get to know you, um, but I just want to say how thankful I am to have this opportunity to preach, to share what God's word has to say for us this morning, and whether it's your first time here or maybe you, you haven't been back to see us in a while, whatever, whatever um, you fi- situation you find yourself, we're just happy that you're here, and my prayer for you this morning is that you get to experience God's grace and his love regardless of where, why you are here. And so last week, Tyson kicked off our series, and it's called Be One and Make One. He challenged us to be disciples of Jesus and to disciple others. And we looked at Christ's final command and how we should, it should be our main focus as Christians. And Tyson stressed that he, as a pastor, is more concerned with the church not going out to reach people than he is about people coming to church. And this morning we're going to talk about this good news that we're called to share with those we come in contact with. But before we do, I just wanted to silence ourselves and we're going to begin with a word of prayer. So if you would, bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as as we come here um, this morning, Lord, thank you so much for all these hearts and all these people that are here for a reason, God. You... You, you brought them here for some reason, God. I just ask that they get to experience your love, that they get to see and receive your grace. God, as we talk about the gospel, Lord, may I get out of the way and let your word speak for itself. Lord, soften our hearts and speak through your word. I'm going to speak through me this morning. Let's sing your sons. Let me pray. Amen. And so the build-up to this point was pretty nerve-wracking. This has been one of the hardest decisions that I've had to make in my life this far. You know, thinking in my head, well, I've gotten this far, what if I fail? You know, what if this is not where I'm supposed to be? What if there's someone else for the task that is at hand? All these thoughts are cruising around in my head, and I'm unsure if this is God's plan for my life. You know, and then it happens, the phone rings, and I frantically run to pick it up. I say, nervously, this has been... The moment seems like it's going in slow motion as I anxiously wait to hear this verdict. You know, it was in that moment where my anxiety and my uncertainty quickly turned to peace and overwhelming sense of joy. But little did I know on that Thursday evening that I would receive some of the best news that I've received in my life up to this point. God chose me. He called me. And he's been faithful this far, so why would I doubt him now? You know, when I received that call from Tyson that I had gotten the position here as student pastor, I was overjoyed. I I really didn't know what to think. I didn't know how to respond. The only thing I remember really is calling my mom on FaceTime, and she um, she was smiling already. And she I didn't even tell her the news, but she already knew. You know, moms have that sense. Um, But she was so excited for me, and I called some of my buddies that had been praying for me, and it was it was awesome. I was full of joy. I was full of peace, full of excitement. 
But there's been many times in my life that I've strived for things of this world, that I've chased after things that pass away. And there's been times when I've been disappointed and let down by those around me. And many of you have probably been in that same state or been in those same shoes. Why is that? Right? Why do we often feel like what we do here on earth doesn't matter? What I'd like to do this morning is to challenge your thought process on this issue. Because the Bible says what we do here on earth determines how we spend eternity. And so what we're going to do is we're going to answer three questions that help us rethink the gospel. Because this gospel is better news than that you will ever receive in your life. It's the best news that you'll ever receive. It's better news than a job offer. It's better news than a healing family member. It's better news than marrying the person of your dreams. This news, this good news, brings dead people to life. It reconciles relationships, and it reunites us back in relationship with the Father. And so what is this gospel? If you guys have your Bibles, turn open to Mark 1.1. What is the gospel? I want to begin today talking about two misconceptions of the gospel so that we're clear. And the first misconception is that the gospel is only for non-believers. That's false. The gospel is for everybody. As followers of Jesus, if we only accepted the gospel but never came back to it day in and day out, then we'd be missing out on the abundant life that, Christ ha- that God has for us in Christ. Right? When you get baptized, you don't graduate from the gospel. You continue to live your life in light of it. Right? And so it's a misconception that once you're saved, that, oh, you're good. Right? You don't have to do anything with it. And I want to challenge your guys' thinking on that this morning. So the first misconception is that the gospel is only for non-believers. The second is that the gospel promises prosperity in material ways. There's a false gospel out there today that promises a stress-free, carefree, and financially blessed life. And this gospel is blasphemy. This gospel is not in scripture anywhere. And if you guys have been following Jesus for, for a while, you know that this is false. Right? And this gospel is leading people astray by promising things that aren't guaranteed. And so now that those two are out of the way, those misconceptions that the gospel is only for non-believers and that the gospel promises prosperity in material ways, we can now look to see why it's important for us to know what the gospel is. And if you look at your Bibles, uh, Mark 1.1, it will be on the screen as well. Mark starts his gospel with the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. If you know anything about the Bible, there's Jesus, and he, he lived this perfect life, and we have recorded accounts of his life and ministry here on earth, and it's written in four different perspectives. And Mark is one of those perspectives, and I think he brings a unique perspective, and he brings a different focus or slant on the life of Jesus. And I think it's interesting that Mark doesn't just say this is the good news about Jesus, but he attaches two titles to him. Right, he says, Jesus, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah and Jesus the Son of God. And so if you know anything about the Old Testament, the, God's people were Israel. And what God did was he was promising to deliver them through this promised Messiah. And so as God's people were unfaithful, God's people, God's people were unfaithful, God was faithful. And he promised to bring them a Savior and it comes in Jesus. And so this first title is for Jewish people. It highlights that Jesus is the anointed one, or Jesus is the promised Messiah or the Savior. And Mark doesn't just leave it there. He says, yes, this good news is for these Jewish people. But he also says 
It's for these people who, who claim God to be um, son of God, right? Jesus to be son of God. And so this next title is the Roman or Gentile title for God, which highlights Jesus' descendants from the Father. It says, hey, all these other gods around you that you might be following, this king comes from Yahweh. This king comes from the one and only God. And so it's important to know that Mark starts this message, this account of Jesus with the good news is for everybody. It's not just for Jews. It's not just for Gentiles. It's actually good news for everybody. And those who believe in this, um, they will receive salvation. That's the truth. And so what does this word gospel mean? Where does it come from? If you guys have read Mark Moore's chapter on this, on this book, he, he highlights some things that are really interesting. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt to define a concept that probably shouldn't be defined in a single sentence in the gospel because of its complexity, its vastness, and its beauty. But I'll try my best to send you guys home with something that you can wrap your heads around, that you can hold, um, because it's important. It's, it's something that's foundational to our Christian faith. And it's important to know this, that Jesus was God's plan in the beginning. It was, he is God's plan in the present, and he will continue to be God's plan in the future, and it's through Jesus that the gospel changes everything in the lives of those who choose to accept it. And this word is euangelion in the Greek, but it's, it's gospel. It means good news. And this word for us today is probably a pretty churchy word. Even if you, if you haven't grown up in the church, you've probably heard this word gospel. You kind of understand what it is. You know it's kind of about this, this guy named Jesus or something like that. Right, And so um, you understand if, if this word for us is a church word, but back then this word was actually a more political word where the emperor would, would send this gospel message, who would send a messenger to tell the people, hey, I just got married, or hey, I, uh, we are having a baby, this is good news, or we have a victory over a nation, this gospel message, this good news would be sent out to the people. And, and why they did this, they did this so that they would unify the people under this ruler, under this person who is bringing this good news. So why is this important? I, I think it's important because Christians adopted this word and attached it to Jesus. And so what does that mean? It's pretty bold. It's saying that Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection is better news than anything an emperor can say. And so think about this, though. If, good, if news is good, that means it has to overshadow news that is neutral or bad. Right, so think about that. So this news has to overshadow something. It has to change something. And in an emperor's sense, this good news about being married would be good news because maybe his wife died or he's getting married for the first time. For us, this good news about Jesus saves us from our bad news that is an eternity in hell because of our sin. But the written gospel accounts are key to understanding the gospel of Jesus. These accounts are similar, but they also have their differences. And so I would challenge you this week to look through the first chapters of each of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and to highlight their differences. See, see what different nuances they have, and, and I think you will be blessed through that. I love what Mark Moore says about the gospel. He makes this distinction. He says, the gospel is not merely the story of Jesus for the church, but the proclamation of salvation through the church. That means that we are active participants in proclaiming this good news. 
How beautiful is that? That God intended it from the beginning, after we sin, to use us to bring this good news to all um, who are willing to accept it. If you guys remember Genesis 3.15, this passage that, that God, he, he's telling this first promise to his people. He's saying that, hey, I, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so from the beginning, we, we see that God chose us to play a part in restoring humanity back to God through Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. That God chose you, that he chose me to proclaim this good news. And so if that's true, what is the gospel? I think God's word is pretty clear about what the gospel is. And Paul, um, he has a lot to say about the gospel. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of Paul's letters and we're going to see how he fleshes this idea out. If you want to turn your Bibles or look to the screen, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 4. This is what God's said. It says this. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Right, so it's saying that this gospel, that Christ died, it was from the beginning. He's fulfilling this through the scriptures. And he also fleshes this out in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. He says, but God being rich in mercy, before this it's saying you were dead in your sin. And it's saying God now is rich in mercy and because of his great love, which he has for us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And even more so in Romans 5, 8 through 10, God says this, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more have we been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? As simply put, the gospel is a truth that we now have peace with God through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We receive salvation by grace through faith. And faith is trusting in God. It's trusting in Jesus' faithfulness and his obedience to death on a cross. And we receive salvation by grace through faith, right? This trust. And upon belief in that truth, you receive salvation, eternal life, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is actually God dwelling inside of you. And, and when you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection but like I said before, this definition only gives us one side of what the gospel story is and what it means for his people. And so if we stopped here, then we would be missing out on the joy, the freedom, and the healing that takes place through the blood, sacrifice, and love poured out to us in Jesus. And the unfortunate thing, Tyson highlighted this last week, is the unfortunate thing is that 96% of people leave the gospel at their conversion, and they don't let it actually change them. They don't continue to grow in Christ-likeness or share this message with other people, and I do not want that to be you. I don't want that to be me. And so if we know this, that this is the, what the gospel is on a basic level, and that we are participants and active participants in proclaiming this good news, why is it important for us? All right, I, we're going to throw up a picture here. It's, this is my friend Priscilla. I want you guys to meet um, Priscilla was my best friend. Um, she was on fire for Jesus. We met in the seventh grade. And so if, if you try to picture me about 5'2", probably like, 
however tall 5'2 is. Um, so I was a short guy. Um, I met Priscilla in the seventh grade, and we were friends all throughout high school. Um, she was my best friend. Um, but as you can see, Priscilla has these beautiful eyes, this beautiful smile. Um, but she, man, she just was even more gorgeous on the inside. Her heart was even more gorgeous. And she, like I said, she was a devout follower of Jesus. Uh, she wanted everybody to know him and experience his love and his grace. One thing that was special about her was that she loved every person she came in contact with without showing favoritism. If you guys have ever met someone like that, they're, they're special to be around. She also saw people for who they could become in Christ as opposed to the sin that they might be caught up in. That was something special about her as well. But if I had to attach one word to Priscilla, it would be boldness. Priscilla was bold. She would call me out on my inconsistencies. Um, she would say, hey, why are you listening to this music? Why are you watching these shows? Um, why did you say that over here? Don't you know you represent Jesus? And, and so she did that out of love. She didn't want me to go down this, this path of destruction. She wanted me to walk in freedom in Christ. And so this person, Priscilla, I would not be here without her today. She was one who really spurred on my faith. She was one that that really helped me decide what I want to do and go into ministry. And, and when we went off to different schools, um, we, she decided to stay at tech, in Texas um, and go to Texas A&M University, and I decided to go to Missouri um, and go to Ozark. And so when we did that, we, we drifted apart a little bit, but we were, still, we were still friends. But there's one day that I'll never forget in my entire life, and, and I remember that I'd just woken up, I was going to check my phone, and I had a bunch of missed calls from my dad and text messages, and, and so I decided to call him back and see what's going on, and my dad gave me the worst news of my entire life up to this point, that Priscilla's gone. She's a drunk driver, head-on collision, he came across the median, hit her on impact, and she just, she's gone. It was her and her sister in the car. Her sister ended up surviving, but she ended up dying. Twenty one-year-old kid, junior in college, and at that moment, I didn't really know what to feel. Everything was in slow motion. I remember hanging up the phone and falling on my knees and just screaming out tears. If you guys have ever lost someone like that, you understand that feeling, that wheezing that comes out when, when you lose somebody. And I, I remember trying to get these prayers out, but like, my mind was just thinking about all the memories of her, and I just struggled to formulate a single sentence of prayer. But why is the gospel important? The gospel is important because it turns our bad news to good news. The gospel is important because your sin and my sin has been put to death on a cross so that we can live in perfect unity with our Father in heaven. The gospel is important because Priscilla is justified before the Lord and is now spending eternity with him forever. One thing Priscilla loved to do was to dance, and I know she's dancing with Jesus the gospel is important because it changes our identities from, son, from sinners to sons and daughters. The gospel is important and it allows us, it allows the grace of God to meet us in our brokenness. And the gospel is then able to be shown and is able to be on full display in our lives. It can truly change us when we allow it to, to change our brokenness. And so the Apostle Paul highlights the importance of the gospel. Uh, I love this text in Romans 6, 4 through 7. It says this, If we were there, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead 
through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we will no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. If you guys have read much of Paul, he kind of goes in circles and it gets kind of confusing sometimes. And so if I had to put this down to one sentence, if I had to um, lay this out for you guys, I would say that the gospel changes our bad news into good news. Our bad news was that we were dead because of our sin. The good news is that Christ died for us. And the gospel is important because God is not some disconnected, far away, uninterested God who simply died for some people. The gospel is personal. Christ died for you. And he died for your brokenness, for your bad news. And so what's your bad news that Jesus' good news has already covered? Reflect on that for a moment. What is your bad news that Jesus' good news has already covered? Did he save you from alcoholism? Did he save you from drug addiction, a toxic marriage, relationship, fornication, depression, anxiety? Whatever it is, you no longer have to live as slaves to it. That's the good news. That's the freedom you have in Christ. And it's only when you come to terms with your bad news when God's good news can transform you. Friends, it's important that you know this today, that no matter how bad your news might be, that Jesus' good news covers it. This message is simple, so simple that children can understand it, yet so complex that scholars still debate over it. But Paul highlights that the gospel message of Jesus doesn't just end there. It calls us to do something. He actually calls us to get uncomfortable He calls us to share it with others. And if you guys were here last week, Tyson highlighted the characteristics of a person who wants to share this good news. And he said that disciples have this love for Jesus. You look at them and you see them glow and they want to love people and meet them with the gospel. They also have this willingness to serve God. They're not not afraid to put down their, their interests and pick up others. And they also invite people to church. But unfortunately, most of the time we think we treat church other, that we treat church like our living room. And sometimes we, we want to come in, sit down in the same spot, um, dictate what we see on stage. Oh, I didn't, I didn't like this. I didn't like that sermon or that wasn't Ben or, or Tyson's best sermon, so um, it was okay. Or I didn't like that song. Why don't we do this anymore? You know, we get comfortable in our faith and we expect our pastors to feed us, but that's not how God intended the church to be. God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to be faithful. And sometimes being faithful means getting off the couch, leaving the living room, and serving in the kitchen. But if you have been baptized in the Christ already and you call yourself a Christian then you're supposed to spread this good news. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as Lord, this is your opportunity to do so. So if that's true, that we're called to share this good news, how do we share it? How do we share the gospel? As I wrap up, I would like to end with looking at one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. It comes in Acts 9. And this, this story records Saul's conversion from Judaism to Christianity. 
And this guy, Saul, he's this devout, this zealous, up-and-coming leader, this up-and-coming Jewish leader who is persecuting Christians for, for professing Jesus as Lord. And so Saul is accumulating this clout. These people are following him. And in Acts 8, he actually approved the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And Acts 9 records Saul's first encounter with Jesus. Saul's walking down this road of Damascus when this light flashes before his eyes, blinding him. And Jesus tells him to stop persecuting him and his people. And Jesus tells him to go into this city leading him to the person who's going to share the gospel with him. God is saying, hey, go to this guy. He's going to take your bad news and change it to good news. And this is what God's word says in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim the name to to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has, has, as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. But check this, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with his disciples in Damascus. And at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And so this man Saul, we know as an apostle, as a pioneer for the early church, and he wrote the majority of the New Testament, actually a lot of the passages, almost all of them, Paul has written, um, we know his name, he changes to Paul, um, but this is a transformation story. This is the power of the gospel. Jesus, this is an encounter with Jesus and, and Saul before, before Christ, he destroyed Christians, but after Christ, he restored them. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the power that it holds. The gospel is not an idea. It's not a concept. It's not false hope. The gospel is a person and his name is Jesus. And he died for you and he died for me and that changes everything. The gospel changes people. The gospel rewrites our stories that are full of deceit, that are full of pain, and that are full of greed. And it's the stories that are full of grace, mercy, and love. But picture this with me. What if, just what if that one person in your mind is, is too far away from Christ, too far gone? What if that one person who annoys you every single day at work, just what if that one family member who just doesn't get it is a chosen instrument by God? Who are you to decide who and how God chooses to use people for his glory? He chose you. He chose me, didn't he? And we know where our bad news was. See, the beauty of the gospel is that it levels the playing field for all of us. 
Romans 3, 23 says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so maybe you just need to be faithful to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and just go like Ananias did in this passage. And maybe you are the one who's going to, God is going to use to bring the transforming power of the gospel to the lives of those who are hurting. And maybe, just maybe, that the, this would change the course of their life forever. And so my challenge for you this week is to find your one. Last week, Tyson encouraged us to be one and make one, to be a disciple of Jesus and to, to make a disciple of Jesus. And so how do we do this? All right, up here you have just the three simple things to how, how we are able to share our stories. The first one is you simply ask for your story, ask for their story. And you guys here at Greenville, from what I've observed, are very good at this first one, getting to know people, um, being intentional, asking people where they come from, what, what, what their story is. And so you guys already have a third of the battle done. You guys are great at this first one, asking people for their story. And the second one flows pretty smooth. You simply add, you share your story. And it's, it's common for people, once you ask them a question, they usually ask it back. And so um, even if that doesn't happen, that transition is pretty smooth. And so you ask for their story and you share your story. And this is where you talk about what we talked about this morning your bad news. You tell them, hey, I came from here, this is where I was, and this is where you hit home the third one, reveal God's story. Right? And so you use that um, to share the gospel, and this will change people's lives. The gospel has power to bring dead people to life, and so I would challenge you guys to find your one this week. Ask for, your, ask for their story, share your story, and reveal God's story. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says this, If anyone is in Christ, then they are a new creation, meaning that our relationship with God has been reconciled, that this gospel is that we now have peace with God through Jesus. And the gospel changes our identity from sinner to son, from broken to whole, from dirty to clean, selfish to selfless, from slave to free. Friends, the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died for you and me. Because of Christ's faithfulness, all who believe have been declared righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Jesus is the full culmination of the law, meaning that Jesus is the climax of the law. Jesus is actually the person that the law intended to create. And the blood of the Son justifies us from the wrath of the Father. We deserve death, yet we receive life. That's good news. And that's the power that the gospel holds. It turns bad news into good news. And as we transition into this time of worship, I will ask you guys to think about this gospel one more time. I'm going to give you one more picture. And if you, if you want to, you can close your eyes. Um, if not, just listen. Um, it's, it's cool. But the gospel is a story. The gospel is more than Jesus dying in our place for our sins to give us newness of life. The gospel is a story about an infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful creator God who made all things in him and for his glory. And you and I have taken advantage of God's grace, his mercy, and his love in order to elevate our wills over his. And we failed to acknowledge and give God glory for the gifts that he has given us. And so knowing this, that all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, he being the just, right, and holy God he is, he could not let our sin go Unpunished, and, and because God is the ones whose wrath cannot be scared, he took on human flesh 
in Christ and he crushed him. And in doing so, God poured out his wrath against the children of God unto his son, killing him. But the good news is this, that God rose him from the dead. And that same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in us, lives in us who believe. This is the gospel that you and I now have right standing with God, not by our own efforts, accomplishments, or by, by what we do or by what we don't do, but declared righteous by Christ's faithfulness, by his obedience to death on a cross. So remember this as we transition into a time of worship and communion. Your addiction to alcohol, you cannot overcome it on your own. Your lust, you cannot overcome it on your own. Your materialism, you cannot overcome it on your own. Your anxiety, your depression, your bitterness, your anger, you cannot overcome it on your own. You do not possess the power to make old things new, to bring dead things to life, or to resurrect anything. Only Christ can. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. That's bad news turned to good. And we cannot take any credit for it. All we can do is continually lay our brokenness at the feet of the cross and continue to celebrate him. And that's what we're going to do right now. Um, as we continue in time of worship, I'm going to pray um, and then we will get on with this. So, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. God, I pray for these people in this room. God, you know their stories. God, you know what their bad news is, Lord, and they know what your good news is, Lord. And so I just ask that you allow your story to reshape theirs through Jesus. God, we love you, and we thank you so much for what your son has done for us on the cross. God, this week, may we have boldness and courage to share the good news with those we come in contact with, Lord. Reveal our ones to us so we can reach them with the changing and powerful news through Jesus. Lord, you're good, and we love you. It's your sons, we pray. Amen.